I want you to turn with me tonight to two places in the Word of God. We'll go first of all to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. And then I'll give you some time after we find our place in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We'll go to Ephesians chapter number 4. Now don't worry about Ephesians chapter number 4 right now. I'll give you time to make your way to that text here in just a few minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3, and we'll read down through verse number 6. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. In fact, it is his second letter. And the Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 3 through verse number 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled." A great deal could be said about verse number 3 through verse number 6. In fact, I am convinced that series of messages could be preached on the thoughts that are brought to our minds in these verses. But I want you to look at the verse, verse number 4, that is, has parenthesis around it. And I want you to see a truth that rises out of this for our consideration tonight. The, Paul said in verse number 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I want you to underscore that statement that closes verse number 4, the pulling down of strongholds. I say to you this evening that the Apostle Paul was pastoring a church where people were struggling with strongholds in their lives. The church that I pastor in Pennsylvania, and God has blessed me on Thursday of this week to be there three years as their pastor, and I know for a fact that there are dozens of people in that church of two or three hundred people that have strongholds in their life. I would say in a building, in a congregation this size tonight, there are some of you that as well could share the testimony of the reality of strongholds in your life. And the Bible said in verse number four that these strongholds must be pulled down. He relates what these strongholds affect in verse 5 and in verse number 6. The Bible said that these strongholds affect our imaginations. The Bible said in verse number 5 that these strongholds are high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. The Bible said in verse number 5 that every thought must be brought into the obedience of Christ. And so these strongholds can affect our thoughts. And the Bible connects our disobedience in verse number 6 to these certain strongholds. There are people in this building tonight that are struggling with strongholds in your life. Those strongholds are satanic. They cannot be fought in the power of the flesh. We know that to be true because verse number 3 said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, we cannot take up carnal arms to defeat satanic strongholds in our lives. 
These strongholds are satanic. My friend, there are places in all of our lives where Satan has taken advantage of us. There are places in our lives where the devil has built a beachhead. There are places in our lives that are unclean. There are places in all of our lives where he has built a citadel. There is a stronghold, a strategic position where the devil continually comes into your life and comes into mine. I would remind you that this is not the only place that the Apostle Paul takes up the truth of strongholds. If you would turn with me tonight to Ephesians chapter number 4. Uh, Keep the words of of 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 3 through verse number 6 in mind. But look with me and keep your Bible open to Ephesians chapter number 4. And we'll look at verse number 26 through verse number 32. And in just a little different language, the Apostle Paul addresses the same subject matter. Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse number 26, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, I want you to look at verse number 27. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And Paul said in verse number 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Paul said in verse number 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You'll notice with me in verse number 27, the Apostle Paul said, Neither give place to the devil. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, he spoke of strongholds. In this chapter, he said it's possible for us to give place to the devil in our lives. I was studying this some time ago and God developed my thoughts in certain areas of these places where the devil has access into our lives. I was studying this word, give place, these words, give place. I was studying especially this word place and I found that it only has two possible meanings in the New Testament. Uh, We understand that in the games of the Greco-Roman world there was first place and there was second place, and there was third place. And what the Bible is teaching us is don't give any place to the devil. Don't give him third place because he wants to have second place. Don't give him second place because he'll want to have first place. And so you shouldn't give him any place in your life, not first place, not second place, not third place. No man can serve two masters. You cannot give the devil a place in your life. He'll keep coming in in that place over and over and over again. He will have access into your life again and again and again if you give him a place. Then there was a second meaning that I thought was amazing. It is the idea of a place setting at a table. If I were to invite you to our home in Grove City, Pennsylvania, you'd get a passport and come up in our direction, amen? 
If I were to invite you into our home and we made ready for you to come and eat, I know that Brother Ricky's kids are all gone now, Brother Gravely's kids are all gone now, but if we knew that him and Nolita were coming to our house, uh, we have a table that will seat about seven, but we don't make room for seven when we're by ourselves. It's me and my wife and our three children. And when we decide to have supper together, we have five places that are set. But if we're expecting company, like Brother Gravely and Sister Gravely coming to our home, we're going to make a place for them because we're expecting them to come. And the Bible said, give, neither give place to the devil. I mean, we have been abused by the devil so much personally and spiritually in our lives that we expect him to come in in certain places. And these are our strongholds. This is the place where the devil comes over and over and over again. Hear me well tonight. I say without stutter, without stammer, clear as crystal and without apology, and I want you to understand this evening without a misunderstanding, Satan can take nothing. Satan can have nothing. Satan owns nothing in your life that you do not give to him. I mean, I want to tell you, I am tired. I am sick and tired of this mentality in the Baptist church that we are living under the sovereignty of Satan instead of the sovereignty of God. He has nothing in my life. He has no right whatsoever to come into my life. He, listen, the Bible said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil has no right in my life. He has no authority in my life. He has no power in my life. He has no property in my life. When he comes into my life, he comes as a trespasser. When he does something in my life, he was doing it out of bounds. And when you give him a place, you are giving place to an intruder to come into your life. But we have strongholds. We have places where the devil is coming in over and over and over again because we've laid out a welcome mat. We've given the devil a warm bed. Suppose you have a piece of property. Maybe it's a large piece of property. Suppose you have a piece of property that's in the neighborhood of 50 acres. And I build a friendship with you. And through that friendship, you grant me one acre of your property. You take me on your land and you say you can have anything that you want. And I go right out into the middle of your 50 acres and I put down a stake and I say, I want this acre right here. We go down to the local deed office, the tax office, and you give me a deed to that one acre of property in the middle of your property and you give me ingress and egress and I begin to run power into that part of the property and, and I make a driveway into the property and then after several months or so, I'm coming across your property to get to my acre in the middle of your property. I start throwing trash out the window of my car. Yeah. I mean, you know, just throwing trash out the window and then maybe I, in the middle of the night, maybe I'm an Alabama football fan and I play Sweet Home Alabama all night long. Well, that's an ungodly tenant, isn't it? And maybe while I'm out in the middle of your property, I'm keeping you up all night long with my loud music. And I'm destroying your property with my trash. And every time we meet one another in the driveway, I run you off in the ditch. And you say, I want you off of my property. Well, the sad fact of the matter is, you're not going to run me off. You gave me a piece of land 
in the middle of your property. You know how you're going to get the devil out of your life? Well, there are three things. If you'll look at Ephesians chapter number 4, I want to give you an introductory thought, and then I'll get to the five points of the message. Number one, the exact the, the way that you get the devil off of your property, the way that you get the devil out of your life, the way that you break down the strongholds of the devil, the way that you take the place back from the devil that you have given him is in verse number 22. Number one, there must be repentance. The Bible said in verse number 22, I'm in Ephesians 4, and look at verse number 22. Paul said that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. I'm telling you, that is definitive of repentance in our lives. We put off what is old, and we take on the new nature that God gave us when He saved us, the divine nature that He placed into us. And so, first of all, there must be repentance. If you're going to overcome the strongholds of the devil in your life, you're going to have to repent. But then secondly, not only there must there be repentance, but if you'll look at verse number 23, there must be renewal. Yes. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yes. Amen. Now, I want to say this to you tonight. 90% of the battle that we face with the devil is right here. Amen. He calls upon us to be renewed in our mind. And if we can take back the parts of our mind that the devil has staked a claim to, we can break down the strongholds of our lives. We can take the place that the devil has taken from us. Not only must there be repentance and not only must there be renewal, but you'll notice in verse number 24, there must be resistance. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I mean, it is a putting off and a putting on, a putting off and a putting on, a putting off and a putting on. He teaches us to lay off the old works of darkness and be clothed in the power of light. It's like walking in the Spirit. I mean, when you get to Galatians chapter number 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. But preceding all of that, he says, if you will walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is as simple as that, my friend. It is, Brother Barnes, it is as simple as saying, Lord, I'm going to give you the next step of my life and taking that step. And then saying, Lord, I want you to have step number two and taking another step. And Lord, I dedicate my next step to you and taking another step and say, Lord, I need you to guide my fourth and give him another step and another step and another step and another step and another step. And And you'll find yourself walking in the fullness of the Holy Ghost. People who have strongholds in their life can't get that precept. Strongholds. I'm talking about that place that you know that the devil is capitalizing in your life. Don't you want to have revival? We cannot have revival until we give God our strongholds. In Ephesians chapter number 4, Paul lists five strongholds. And I want to show them to you for the message this evening. Number one. The stronghold of lying. Verse number 25. Wherefore, Paul said, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members one of another. You know, we live in the day when people are not only telling lies, but they're living lies. We live in the day when people are not only telling lies and living lies, but they believe lies. And I want to tell you that the devil feels at home in the heart of a lying man. You know the nature of the devil is to be a liar? And I'm going to tell you tonight, listen, I'm going to tell you how the devil feels comfortable in our lives. And every one of these five principles, I'm going to show you what the Bible says about the devil and his lying ways. And these others, I'll show you here in just a moment. But the devil loves it when you lie. If you are not 100%, listen to me, church, if you are not 100% committed to impeccable truth without reproach, you have created a climate where the devil will come in over and over and over again. If there's an area of dishonesty in your life, the devil has a stronghold. And the devil will poke his head up right there every single time. If there's any place in your life that is not founded on the truth, if there's a place in your life that is full of deception, if there's a place in your life that is filled with lies, it is a warm bed where the devil loves to come and stay, and he feels right at home in that place. I remember in the early church in Acts chapter number 5, just five chapters into the book of Acts, the subject of lying in the church came up. The church was experiencing revival. The power of God was falling in the services and the Lord was adding to the church daily such as should be saved. I mean, Peter would preach and the apostles would preach and the glory of God would fall on that congregation and the Word of God was increasing, the Bible said. And then you get to chapter number 5 and there's Ananias and Sapphira. And there must have been the nature of lying that came easy to Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter looked at Ananias and he said, Why hath Satan, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? I want to tell you something tonight, church. The devil doesn't know what's in your heart, but he can put things in your heart. Ananias lied. And the Bible said that he fell dead in the midst of the congregation. And the Bible said the young men of the church picked him up and took his body out and buried him. And three hours later, his wife came in and Peter rebuked her likewise and she died. There's something about that that I never saw until the other day. The Bible said that Ananias died at the beginning of the service. And three hours later, Sapphira came in and she died. When they had church in the book of Acts, it lasted longer than three hours. Are you listening? And the Bible said that his heart was full of lies, and he died. Let me tell you what the devil's nature is. John chapter 8, verse number 44, tells us five things about the devil and his nature. He was a murderer from the beginning. I'll get to the lies, the five things about lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now watch this. He abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. If you'll notice in John 8, 44, there are three things the devil loves to deal in. He loves to deal with families. He said he's a father. 
The devil, are you listening to me tonight? The devil loves to come into the church through a family. He is a father. And then the devil loves to deal in fatalities. The Bible said he was a murderer from the beginning. And then I want to say thirdly that the devil loves to deal with you through falsehood. Five statements are made about how the devil comes in through falsehoods in our life. Are you a liar? The devil will capitalize on your lying nature over and over and over again. Let me show you several several other things about lying. You know, God is a God of truth. I mean, you can't come to any other conclusion. John 14, verse number 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 17, verse number 7, Sanctify, I believe that may be 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In John 16, in verse number 13, it tells us that the God... Uh, that the God's Spirit is a Spirit of truth. When He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. I mean, I've just given you a light treatment tonight, a thumbnail sketch of the Trinity. The Son is the Son of truth. The God is the Father of truth. And the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of truth. It is God's nature to deal in truth. But when you lie, you are giving a place for the devil to deal in your life. I'm reminded of the story of a little boy. And you know how little boys can be about lying. He often told things that were so colorful and so vivid that it startled his mother that he had such a lying imagination. And I remember hearing this story about this little boy that his mother went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I want you to talk to my boy. He's a liar. I mean, he tells things that are so far-fetched it'd be hard for anybody to believe what he said. And I can't hardly think of... I can't hardly believe anything that he says because of how bad his lies are. Would you talk to him? And he said, bring him to church at 4.30 on Sunday afternoon and bring him in my office and I'll talk to him. And so the mother brought her son to the pastor and the boy sat across the desk from the pastor and the pastor said to the boy, he said, son, I hear you've got a problem telling stories. Let me tell you a story. The pastor said, I was preaching in West Virginia and there's a little old white church on the side of a mountain and all of a sudden, while I was preaching in a big way, all of a sudden the back doors of the church flew open and a big old grizzly bear walked into the back of the church. And that grizzly bear made his way down the middle out of that little West Virginia white church and just started sucking people up, just eating them whole. I bet he ate five people out of that congregation. And he said, son, while I was preaching, that bear was eating those people and then all of a sudden a little old poodle dog walked into the back of that church and jumped on that bear, wrestled it down to the ground, bit it on the throat, killed it, and ate that bear in front of that entire assembly of people. He said, son, do you believe that story? And that boy said, oh, yeah, I believe it. That was my dog that did that. Mm -hmm. And we think it's funny when it's a child. And sometimes when our children lie, we know that it's part of their nature. You know, we're born into this world with lies. But when it becomes a stronghold in their lives. My friend, I am telling you tonight that the devil will come into your life if you are not 100% honest. You know what's become strange in this generation? It's not the truth that's strange. Uh, It's not the, the lies that are strange. It's the truth that is strange. If you just tell the truth, you're considered a 
round peg in a square hole in this world. I remember hearing the story of a young preacher in Bible college. You know, you can lie without changing much of your words. As a matter of fact, you can lie by just changing the tone of your voice. I heard the story of a young preacher down in Florida. He pastored a church about 150 miles from where he was going to Bible college. Had an old rattle trap of a car. One night he got finished preaching. This is a Southern Baptist church. And one night he got finished preaching at that Southern Baptist church and got in his car and he realized that one of his head beams had, had burned out. He had 150 miles to drive that night. It's going to be way after dark before he got back to the dorms. And he was thinking to himself, I'll get that fixed on Monday morning. If I can just make it back, I'll get it fixed. So he was driving down the road in Florida, and one of those state troopers in Florida pulled him over. And he, pulled, he walked up to the side of the car, and he said, Son, did you know that you've got a headlight out? And that young preacher said, I've got a headlight out? <laughs> Are you all getting it? He said, I've got a headlight out? I've got a headlight out? Well, he told the truth. But he changed the way he said it. And that trooper said to that young preacher, he said, son, I'm going to let you go this time, but when you get home, you need to get your headlight fixed. If you didn't know about it, I'm going to let you go. And he said, yes, sir. And that young preacher got in the car, and the Holy Ghost sat down in the passenger seat. He said, you lied. He said, no, I did not. I told him I had a headlight out. He said, no, you know what you did. We have become so accustomed to lying in this generation that it's become a stronghold. I want to help you tonight, church. The God that lives in you cannot lie. According to Titus 1-2. The Bible said in John 1-14, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as it was the glory of His only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God doesn't lie. And when you lie, you are defiling the nature of God in your life and you're giving the devil a place to come in and take a stronghold. Number two, not only do we find the stronghold of lying in chapter number four, but also in chapter number four of Ephesians, we find the stronghold of anger. The stronghold of anger. Now, I want to stop right here and tell you that the devil is angry. I mean, you're not going to have... I've been, I've been preaching out of Revelation for two years on Sunday night. And one thing that keeps surfacing in my studies, Brother Gravely, is that the devil is full of wrath. I mean, by the time you find that woman who's clothed down to her feet and up, up to her neck in a garment that is white, and over her head are 12 stars representing the tribes of Israel, and under her feet are the sun and the moon... And the Bible said that woman, whoo, I feel good about this right now. The Bible said that woman would give birth to a man-child that would rule the nations with a rod of iron. Amen. And the Bible said the dragon was angry with that woman. You flip over a few more chapters and you'll find that same dragon slaying the two witnesses. I mean, I could tell you five or six places where he's angry. When you read about the devil in the Bible, you'll find out the devil is angry. Amen. And the Bible said, Be ye angry and sin not. Yes. 
let not the sun go down upon my wrath. Now listen, if it is the nature of the devil to be a liar, when you lie, he's going to come into your life through your lying ways. And if it's the nature of the devil to be angry, when you get angry in a sinful way, the devil's going to come in every time. You listening? I heard a preacher say recently, the only way to be angry and sin not is to be angry at sin. Boy, isn't that the truth? There's a righteous anger, the kind of anger that Jesus had in the temple when he turned over the tables, when he saw the house of God being mistreated, when he saw the sacrifices of God being taken advantage of, it made Jesus angry. And I get angry when I hear about the man of God being mistreated. I get angry when I hear about churches being mistreated. There's an anger that we should have, but then there's another anger. It is a sinful anger. And the Bible said we should not even let the sun go down on that anger. God has so written into His constitution for our lives that when you are sinfully angry, don't even let a 24-hour cycle transpire in your life before you get it out. You know why? Because anger becomes... Can I preach a while tonight? Anger becomes a stronghold. You show me an angry person and I will show you a person that is liable to do the work of the devil more than they do the work of God. You listening? Angry. Rage. Wrath, the Bible called it. Are you angry tonight? What are you angry about? Let me ask you this. What is it that makes you angry? You can tell a lot about a man's character by what makes him mad. I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you angry with your wife? It'll become a stronghold. Are you angry with your children? Are you angry with your neighbor? Are you angry with your boss? Are you angry with your pastor? Are you angry with somebody else in the church? This can become a stronghold. A great preacher once said, anger is an acid that does more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than on the person on which it is poured. Anger will eat you from the inside out. It is a stronghold. And if you don't get control of your anger, the devil's going to come into your life right there every time. Number one, the stronghold of anger. I should say the stronghold of lying. Secondly, the stronghold of anger. Then thirdly, look down at verse number 28. You're going to wonder why in the world I'm preaching on this in a revival meeting, but wait a, wait a minute. The stronghold of stealing. You listening? You know the devil's a thief? Brother Ricky, is this making sense tonight? The devil's a liar, and when you lie, he's going to come into your life right there. The devil is wrathful, he is angry, and when you get angry, he's going to come in right there, and the devil is a thief. And if you have a problem with stealing, he's going to come in right there. You listening? I got an older brother, older half-brother, his name is Joel, last name of Conger. You go down to South Georgia over in the Thomas County, Berrien County, Lanier County, Lowndes County, Colquitt County, all of that area of South Georgia right there around Tift County, Tifton, that big area around Tifton there, all those counties. 
My brother's been in trouble with the law in every one of those counties. My brother has an 18-year-old daughter. I'm not glorifying sin tonight. I'm just telling you what stealing can do to your life. My brother has an 18-year-old daughter, and he's never spent a Christmas with her. Because every time November and December comes, he starts stealing again to support his drug habit. The other day, well, I say the other day, probably five years ago, my brother got rung up for over $370,000 of theft, stealing copper. Are you listening? It controls him. His entire life is lived with the thrill of stealing somebody something else. The Bible said in verse number 28, Let him that stole steal no more. And rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Not only is Satan a liar, and not only is Satan angry, but John 10.10 said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. If you are a thief, the devil loves that nature about you. If you would steal... Preacher, can I preach a while tonight? If you would steal a 15-cent pencil, you're a thief. You've made a place for the devil to be at home. I'm going to tell you why. Jesus said this, preacher, in Luke chapter 16 and verse number 10, Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And Jesus said, he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If you cannot trust a man with a half-inch wrench, how are you going to trust him with a D9 dozer? You say, well, it's just a small thing. I want to say to you tonight that a person that would steal a 15-cent pencil from their church would steal a $1.50 pack of paper. And a person that would steal a dollar fifty pack of paper from their church would steal a fifteen hundred dollar microphone. And a person who would steal, come on now, y'all don't die on me tonight. A person who would steal a fifteen hundred dollar microphone would steal a fifteen thousand dollar love offering. You're going to have to learn not to steal in the small things. Jesus didn't say that if you are unfaithful in the least, you might be unfaithful. He said you are unfaithful. If you cannot be faithful in the small things, how will you be faithful in the big things? And the devil loves a thief. He's a thief by his nature. He loves to steal. He loves to steal lives. He loves to destroy little boys and little girls by stealing their purity from them. He's a thief. He's a thief. And you kids, I'm so glad every time I come to Bible Baptist, there's always children all over the place, and I love to see it. We had almost 60 in our youth choir last night. I love to go into a church where there's young people. I want to say something to you little boys and little girls. Do you steal answers off of your neighbor's paper in school? Boy, it's getting quiet in here. I want to say to you teenagers, would you steal a little girl's purity 
or a little boy's purity? Now, I want to go a little bit further to you adults. Would you steal from your job by riding the clock? Can I go a little bit further to you adults? Would you steal somebody else's reputation, somebody else's good name by gossiping? Not only should you ask yourself, is what I'm about to say good? Ask yourself, is what I'm about to say useful? What do you say in verse number 29? That which is good to the use of edifying. Is it useful? You say, well, it's true. Sometimes things can be true, but they're not useful. We don't always have to say everything that we know. I mean, I want to have revival as bad as you do. And I'm afraid that we have let the devil come in in so many places in our lives that it is hindering. It's holding us back. We've got strongholds that have to be overcome. And one of those strongholds is our mouth. Think about what you're about to say. Is it good, number one? Is it useful, number two? Number three, is it edifying? Is it edifying? Here's another one. Does it minister grace? Think about not only what you are about to say before you speak it. Think about what you're about to say. But then secondly, in verse number 29, think about who you're saying it to. And the Bible said that that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace, watch this, unto the hearers. You have to take them into consideration. Who is listening to what I'm about to say? The devil comes in in strongholds when we use our mouth in inappropriate ways. Our Lord set the supreme example. As a matter of fact, our Lord set the example for every virtue of our lives. You look at the fruit of the Spirit and you'll find Jesus. He was love. He was joy. He, was, he said, I'll give you peace and no man will ever take it from you. He was long-suffering. He was gentle. So gentle that they brought his children and he put his hand on their head and blessed them. And the disciples were offended. But he said, you suffer these little children to come unto me. Now, I could go on and on and on tonight. But you want to talk about somebody who had no guile found in his mouth. The Bible said in Luke chapter 4, verse 22, Brother Barnes... And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Are you listening to me tonight, church? I didn't come to hurt you. I came to help you. And Christ's likeness will change what we talk about. The stronghold of corrupt speech. Is what you're saying good? Is what you're saying useful? Is what you're saying edifying? Is what, does what you say minister grace? Is it edifying? My friend, the devil will come in when you can't control your mouth. And then lastly, give me just a few more minutes and I'll be finished, okay? Look at verse 31 through 32. And you find in verse number 31 and 32 the stronghold of bitterness. Paul said, let all bitterness... And wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you so much could be said. In Revelation chapter 12, verse number 12, we find out how bitter the devil really is. 
You go down to Revelation chapter 12, verse number 12. You look at verse number 17. You'll find the dragon again. That old dragon, the great dragon, the red dragon. And he is once again bitter. He is angry. He is chasing the people of God in his bitterness. And there is no more inviting attitude that creates a place for the devil in my heart and in your heart than an attitude that is bitter. He feels at home. Let me show you how the devil works in bitterness. Look again at verse number 31. You'll notice there's a progression. From verse 31 to verse number 32, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse until you come to the admonition of verse number 32, which is be kind one to another and tenderhearted. But before you get to verse number 32, there was a progression, and the Bible said that it started with bitterness. So first of all, what the devil feels at home in is what starts with bitterness. Are you following me, church? Now look at your Bible. Once the devil sees that you're bitter, he puts on a full court press right there. He's got a foothold. He's got a foothold in your life when he sees you becoming bitter. It's like a root that grows up and it grows in and it grows out. It affects our relationships up. It affects my relationship with myself. And it affects my relationship with others when I get bitter. And when the devil senses that you're getting bitter, he laughs in his soul and he knows he can come in right there. And it starts with bitterness. Now I want you to know something. Bitterness is internal. And then the Bible said what starts with bitterness in verse number 31 turns into wrath. That word wrath, I've been looking at it for some time now, and that word wrath, the best definition that I can find, means to burn slow. That word wrath means there's a fire burning inside of you. The word wrath means that what started with bitter coldness is now ignited. It's burning. It's like a pile of rags. They're just smoking. You know, on a, on, a, on a day when you need to rake the yard and you rake all those leaves into the neighbor's yard, I mean into the ditch to burn them, amen, and, and you set fire to them, but there's still a dew outside. But you can get a, you, you know, enough fuel. You can get a wind on a windy day especially. You can get that fire going. But sometimes those leaves will smoke all day long. You'll come home at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock that night. You'll find out they've burned down, but they smoke up the entire neighborhood. That's the idea behind the word wrath. It's a slow burn. When you get bitter, you get cold. But your bitterness does not sit still in the cold. It becomes hot. And it starts burning. And then what is inside starts to come out. Notice he said that bitterness turns into wrath and wrath turns into anger. At that point, the devil has caused that which is internal to be external. So it isn't just that we can see the bitterness and the wrath on your face or in your actions or hear it in your words. Now it becomes an eruption. It started with bitterness and the devil made a stronghold and your bitterness turned into wrath and now your wrath has become anger. And the Bible said that anger doesn't stop there. It becomes clamor. Well, I would doubt that anybody in this church has used clamor in their casual conversation this month. 
I didn't know what the word meant. I had to look it up myself. And I looked up the word clamor. And Brother Gravely, I was shocked to find out that the word clamor means to speak loudly. You listening? So it started with bitterness, no words. It turned into wrath, a burn. And then it became anger. You could see it. And then it turned into a vocalized raising of the voice. And then the Bible said it becomes evil speaking. Hello, church. That's when the devil sees you that you've lost it. He started... My friend, listen to me. I want to help you tonight. He started on a small level. He started on the inside, but what he starts on the inside never stays on the inside. It turned into a worse and worse and worse situation until it's clamor. You're yelling at one another and evil speaking. I hate you. I wish to God I had not married you. I wish I was dead. It didn't stop with evil speaking. The Bible said it became malice. You know what malice means? The base definition, the most simple definition of the word malice means I want to hurt somebody. And you find yourself getting bitter and you find your bitterness turning into wrath and you find your wrath turning into anger and then your anger becomes clamor and your clamor becomes evil speaking and your evil speaking becomes malice and you actually want to put your hands around someone's throat or punch them in the face. The devil takes a stronghold in our homes, in our lives, with our children, with our wives. Stronghold, malice. Where did all of that start? It started when the devil made you bitter. And the devil is right at home when we're bitter. I'm thinking about a lot of situations tonight. Many things come in and out of a mind, the mind of a preacher when he's talking and then more likely for me, my mind comes and goes when I'm talking, but I'm thinking about many things that have come into my mind. I'm thinking tonight about a couple. I'm thinking tonight about a couple. That got bitter on the day they got married. There was so much anger. And so much bitterness. He said some things to her before he married her. And she returned some things back to him. And the day they got married, standing at the wedding altar, she actually turned her face away from him when it was time for him to kiss her in front of that congregation. She was so embarrassed after marriage. I read the other day that 90%, 90 of weddings have a catastrophic emotional event on the day of the wedding. Did you know that? Happens a lot. And after year after year after year of marriage, it got worse and worse and worse and worse 
And now they've come to the place where they can't talk to each other unless they're yelling. And their kids aren't listening until the dad is screaming to the top of his lungs. And the devil, the devil will sit down right there, preacher. He is laughing. I got him. I got him exactly where I wanted him. He got a stronghold. Five strongholds in this chapter. Now, these strongholds may not even talk about what's wrong with you and what's wrong with me. But I can tell you this, the devil's looking for a place to come in. And I may not have preached on your stronghold tonight, but I'll guarantee you the devil is looking for a stronghold in your life. Will you stand with us this evening? I never, I never want to invade a man's pulpit and do things that I wouldn't have liberty to do. And I know your pastor well enough to know that he would want an invitation. Musicians have come tonight. The pastor is coming. I want to invite you to come to the altar. Preacher, if I could take liberty to just say just a couple of words. You may have to come tonight and pray about something that in the list of five that we've talked about tonight are totally unrelated to your problem. But I believe that as the Spirit speaks through the preaching of the Word, God puts His finger on what's wrong with us. Amen. And I have no doubt tonight He show you what's wrong with you. 